welcome to Season 2 of Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBT media of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul, my guests are Nick and Spencer, and today we're discussing the 1961 film Victim. There will be spoilers. Dirk Bogard plays Melville Farr, a London barrister with a respectable career, a respectable wife, and a secret. Farr is a closeted homosexual in a time when British law was sending gay men to prison. He learns that an ex-boyfriend, Barrett, was being blackmailed and has committed suicide. So Farr begins searching the gay underworld for blackmail victims in hopes of hunting down the blackmailers himself. Victim was the first English language film to use the word homosexual. The creators took great risks bringing it to the screen. It is an important film, but is it still entertaining? Let's find out. Spencer, was this your first time seeing Victim? It was indeed. It was definitely compelling in the mystery aspect of it because we didn't know the whole truth. And we, along with Far, were discovering the reality of the situation. So I like that it was a thriller mystery from a time, a different era than I'm used to. Nick, first impressions of the film. I loved it. This falls into the I love category. I was, I was along for this ride. And cinematically, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was suspenseful. Yeah, I, I, had a, I have a very big impression. This, I think this was really etched in my mind. I really like Dirk Bogard's performance. This was the first film I'd seen him in, but he was a successful romantic leading man in a in a series of comedies, and he had a teen girl following, but he was aging out of those roles and had done a series of flops, so he really wanted a chance to sink his teeth into a darker role. This was a risk because he was gay and not out, and this film raised gossip about him fortunately the film was a success and he was able to leverage it into getting more dark and dramatic roles afterwards i like that he is assertive that he is allowed to be angry and stand up for himself and that he takes an active role in this investigation i've seen a lot of gay films recently where the protagonists are very passive Um, Oh, what was me? My parents don't like me. The bullies are after me, whatever. And so it was just, it was fun to see a dashing gay leading man at such a, at such a time who just went out there and got stuff done. And stand up not only to non-gay people who were creating hurdles for him, but also gay people who were getting in his way too. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now this, (laughs) This film has a lot of characters. What was it like watching for the first time, trying to keep track of them all? I'll go. It was confusing. I definitely felt a little lost in the beginning because I was like, there were so many, and I don't want to say they looked alike, but they all kind of had that white vanilla flavor. So it <laughs> took me a minute to really focus it but like half once i knew what was going on and i was in it i was like oh maybe that was on purpose because that first character that we see running around he's he's really complicated he doesn't know what's going on uh yeah and there was just so many people so many interesting characters so yeah that that was um it was a little tough to follow but i i soon fell into it i didn't have as hard of a time understanding the difference between the characters because I actually felt that the performances were very distinct 
I felt like each actor really carved out a space for their character within the film. My difficulty was in tracking the the plot across because the characters came in and out so often. But the suitors, I felt like each of them had a distinct chapter, both with the young boy and with Far. I felt like, you know, they each had kind of a moment um, with each of them. So I felt like I understood who they were. But yeah, some of these side characters who seem to somehow contribute to the plot, don't ask me how, I got a little lost there. But yes, at the beginning of the film, Barrett, the blackmail victim, goes to visit his three ex-boyfriends. So there's a very sort of sort of a formula to it. He's going to he's going to visit the first one and the first one's going to say, no, go away. And he's going to visit the second he says, no, go away. But it introduces you to all the characters as he tries to to warn them about the trouble that he's in. And then later, once Far comes back to visit them as well, we get more clues. I loved it. It felt very... Um episodic and I thought that each one as I said was very distinct in who they were and in their relationship with him and it's a shame obviously that none of them took the time or the patience to deal with him because all he needed was a lift out of there and maybe a pocket full of change and he could have skedaddled but um but yeah obviously they were a little more concerned about themselves in those moments and the sad thing was that his his hasty choice to take his own life comes out of a desire to protect them. He's not he's not doing it because he's going to be outed. He's doing it because he knows the blackmailers are going to out his exes, particularly Far, who he's still deeply in love with. Mm. I did question that choice. I mean, I obviously the drama of it was fantastic and it propelled the whole movie, but if I were in that position, yes, I would obviously be concerned for those people, but I also would maybe make that decision based on a fear for myself. And I have to say, I never felt that the detectives were antagonistic to him. I felt like they were, you know, pressing him, but encouraging him to speak up more for his own safety than for, because they felt anything negative toward him. And the cop was a little, um, condescending and a little oppressive but I didn't get a sense that he it's not like prison movie or prison movies or tv shows today when you when you feel like the prison guard is gonna you know when he's gonna he's gonna do something terrible I didn't get that sense from the cop the prison cop in this scenario when you know when he said goodnight to him before he decided to take his life so that made me sad because I was like well I think he might have been okay but as you said Paul I guess he was more concerned about other people than himself it's interesting that we spend as much time with him as we do it's it's kind of a lengthy prologue he's i mean he's not exactly janet lee in psycho he he, he's only in about the first maybe 15 minutes of the movie but it, it was surprising that at the beginning if you if you hadn't seen the film before was it clear that far was going to be the protagonist no I was shocked when that when that young boy uh, killed himself. I was like, "Oh, this is really taking a taking a twist here." No, I wasn't sure, but I will say that was a busy fifteen minutes. I feel like that those fifteen minutes set up the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a strong beginning and a strong end, and then it goes in a lot of tangents in the middle because the investigation brings up 
not just red herrings, but all of these different people who just want to chime in what they think about homosexuals. Like Barrett's best friend has a wife who hates him and she's just there to show that some women are homophobic. (laughs) I loved that portrayal of the friend who is just like, have some heart, like have some sympathy. Like what is wrong with you woman? (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is my, this is my dear friend. I'm just being a good person and a good friend to someone that's been in my life. And then among the gay characters, we get quite a mix because we get the the used car salesman who is uh, what what today we would say is able to pass. And then we get the neurotic bookstore clerk who mm. sort of a predatory figure. I got the sense he was being very controlling and possessive. He was pos- possessive for sure. Th- there we go. Mm. Possessive. And then we meet the poor hairdresser who dies of shock when the blackmailer confronts him. That That's one of the more florid scenes in the film for me where, that just doesn't quite work for me, where the blackmailer shows up and starts smashing up his shop to threaten him. And he has a very slow, very uh, melodramatic heart attack. But still mm. manages to eke out a final phone call. <laughs> which why which why didn't we see that? I would have loved to see that. Him just being like like it's Yeah, like I would have loved And most I think it's an interesting mix because when you think about gay characters in 50s and 60s films, they're often very tragic. And so you get some of those tragic characters in this. But then you get some of the heroic ones and some of the ones that are just living their lives to balance them out. Because then later, Far goes and meets some wealthy homosexuals who are content to just keep paying off the blackmailers. And one's a stage actor and one, I think, is a politician and his assistant. I wasn't quite sure what the assistant's job was, but he he mocks Far for his own homosexuality and for having a college boyfriend who died. And then Far punches him in the face. And it's it's a big <laughs> surprise because we haven't spent enough time with these characters to see that kind of a confrontation coming. That was my favorite scene by far. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, because I loved that it complicated the situation where it wasn't just far versus blackmailers it was far versus others who are complacent with their situations as well who are also trying to create hurdles in the investigation you know by not cooperating with him i loved that and i love i that was very telling of the time i guess and that they just accepted that that was their fate their reality it was like if they want to enjoy any sliver of happiness that they just have to pay it pay up for it basically um and that was the same thing with Hen- henry the barber i believe was his name that was very I-, I wasn't aware of that whole situation where you know fleeing to canada that was their only godsend in the at that time you know to enjoy freedom without um a fear of incarceration especially for him he admitted that he had been jailed three times or something like that i just wasn't familiar with that reality of that time and it that that kind of broke my heart that he died before he could get out 
and just enjoy and live freely. I mean, again, I don't know what Canada, Canada looked like for gay people at that time either, if it really was that much better. But yeah, that was just very telling to me of, it, it was a bummer too, because I just, you want the gays to work together, to collaborate and come together in this moment to like find justice for this boy who killed himself. Um, and instead you kind of get this uh, apathetic response uh, based in selfishness, honestly, and fear really of, of uh, repercussions for kind of screwing up what, what they've got going. Mm. Well, Nick, you've watched two films with us now about groups of gay friends who do and don't support each other. How did this, how did the gay characters in this compare to care to what you saw in let's say uh, boys in the band and broken hearts club? Yeah, definitely not. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, cause you know, broken hearts club, I felt there was more, com- they were more friends and, you know, there was that one, the Superman really attractive guy. He was kind of their outsider, but, and then uh, boys in the band, God, they were definitely brutal to each other here. And then, and then certainly in this one victim, they were, I thought there was like really no alliances. Yeah. They all just seemed, especially when they knew like that scene with the actor, when he went in there, I, he obviously knew that this lawyer Favre was, was gay. And it, there was no like different treatment when the door shut, when they were just there together, they were all in it for themselves. But I guess that, I don't know if that doesn't make sense to me, but this movie really reminded me or highlighted that this was, in fact, against the law. And whereas, like, boys in the band might have not been accepted out there and they had to have their parties and do things separately. But when it's against the law, I guess it really is every man for themselves, every person for themselves. So that was interesting. And I guess also sad that there was no alliances there. And the, their one connection was this young boy. I don't know if they all knew him because they were all gay or they just, in the beginning, I thought he was like running some prostitution thing. That's why he was running away. I thought that was the blackmail thing. I was like, oh, I guess they all slept with this young boy and they're all mad. But they all knew him and had different degrees of sadness that they felt for him. But still, together, all at the end of it, they were all looking out for themselves. The one exception is... Barrett's best friend, Hiff, Eddie. I think. I think it's Eddie. And he, yeah. he he really greases the wheels to get the plot going because he's the one who reaches out to Far afterwards and says, hi, our mutual friend killed himself. Here's a photo he was hiding of you and him Yeah, that someone was blackmailing him about. And I wanted Eddie to have a bigger role in this. I think if this was a more modern film, you could build on that dynamic of the upper class closeted barrister teaming up with the the lower class uh less closeted guy to do this investigation and maybe even have them flirt with each other at, develop some sort of a dynamic but the 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 film kind of drops Eddie after a while did you pick it, up that i didn't were they i didn't know if they were friends cousins or lover like i wasn't sure if eddie was gay or not he didn't have any blackmail problems and he kind of seemed like he didn't know what was going on am i missing it or what do you think i think he was because he's flirting with the guy in the bowler hat 
and oh uh, right the undercover cop who turns out to be an undercover cop and i wasn't sure whether there's one moment where i thought the cop was flirting back and i didn't Mm -hmm. know if the film was going to pick that thread up again is like is this entrapment or is Mm. there is there a spark there (laughs) Mm -hmm. paul i love this idea of it being like bad boys three britain edition or something like with eddie (laughs) and the barrister teaming up and they're a, they're a crime-solving duo with a little bit of sexual tension on the side. Like, I just, I love that. And I loved Eddie, and I think he definitely carried the baton for most of the film because he's the one that put the barrister in contact with these people to begin with um, and had the intel uh, to direct him that way. And yes, the photo, which was the kind of the key telling element of the whole mystery of what was actually happening anyhow. Yeah, I'll wait for that modern day uh, edition of this film to come out. Well, the censors wanted to be absolutely certain that the leading man was not having gay sex with anybody. So they go out of their way to tell you over and over again. It's like, no, I, he didn't have sex with his high school boyfriend. He didn't have sex with this boyfriend. He resisted the urges. The only person mm. he's having sex with is his wife, which is why... When he and the wife finally confront each other, that's my favorite scene in the film. Um, how did how did that? I, I read that he he wrote that. Yeah, he re, he rewrote it. He, Dirk Bogard didn't feel that the the scene on the page uh, went far enough, and he was the one who added the "I wanted him." Don't you understand? I wanted him. Mm. <laughs> and they had to fight to keep that. The censors were scared of it because, like, oh, we're actually acknowledging that, <laughs> that he wants to have sex with men. Mm-hmm. And is that where they f- say homosexual? Is that the first time he says it in that scene? I think the detective says it when uh, they're que- when they're questioning boy. Okay, that's the first time you hear it. But the wife says it too later. She says uh, he killed himself because he was being blackmailed because he was a homosexual. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> it takes two to make a blackmail. Yeah. And the yeah. lighting is so beautiful in that scene. It's the only scene in the film where I noticed the lighting because he's always in, he's either in front of the lamp or the fireplace. He's in some sort of shadow when she's, when she's talking to him. I noticed the lack of lighting on the when they're outside in the street in the middle of the night. I was like, what are we watching, Blair Witch Project? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> but I, what do you think you asked if we like? I love that scene. I thought mo- it was very grounded, like a lot of the scene. Besides the punch and that barber dying, the, a lot of this, I thought it was really solid grounding acting and realism. It, it was just heartfelt. It just made me think of that time and in, of like life in the greater scheme, how many false like marriages were like that were like what these women went through and like, how they knew and and obviously for the men how troubling their lives was but it's i was like wow and it, she almost had the look like she they all know this happens it's and it happened to her she was like well there i was i was young and you know with this a gay I man d- i definitely felt sympathy for her because even in the beginning of the film i remember what before his secret was was revealed or what have you she says something like, oh, I love you, honey. And he's like, okay, we'll prove it. And he brings her to the bedroom. And I was like, what is happening? Mm. No. Yeah. And the kissing, why was kissing so awkward in the older films? 
Like what year did they finally say, hey, guys, no one kisses like that. Stop squeezing these women life out of them. When he <laughs> kissed her on the stairs, it was like, and then there was another kiss. I can't remember. There was another woman like, no, who kisses like that? So what do you what do you think the two of them should do after all this? Should they stay married for convenience? Should she leave him? How mm. I how I understood his arc, he needed to solve this crime to resolve the unrest he felt in his soul about his friend from college, whom he felt that he left down. So although he explicitly states his desire for men, I feel like they explained away his passion in this case as a, an act of guilt um, and him finding resolution for what he didn't do in the past. So I feel like they will stay together because I feel like him burning the photo, that's him putting a period on this foray into that, that was rooted in his pain that he felt for his friend whom he lost. Mm. I was, I like went off onto life thinking of, of marriage and what percentage of the marriage is intimacy. And like, then I kept thinking when you get older, I don't know what it's like. Like my grandparents were married for 60 years. Like, I don't know what the intimacy was like that. So it's like, when now that they're both older, like, is that stuff really important? Can they still make it? Cause they don't have that intimacy, but they still had that love and desire to be together. And he clearly honored, you know, he may have had like a, an emotional relationship with this young man, but he honored their, their marriage. So I could see her staying and figuring it out. I guess, yeah. And then I just made me think like, how did she, I guess, how, how did she not know? Did, they, they didn't have any kids, but he was he able to, she knew about the college guy. Can a wife really not know? Well, and realistically too, who's her competition now? <laughs> her only competition has eliminated himself. And we haven't really seen any other suitors besides Eddie come up and Eddie seems to be elsewhere. So, mm, but that guy was young. I felt like, that young boy who killed himself and this and far seemed like an age difference. So I'm like, will it, that stuff never go away? What young boy is going to come up next? And far picked him up while he was waiting for the bus, he says, and mm. kept and on giving right him away. rides. She says, when did you know? And he says, immediately. Nope. Now I'm changing my mind. She's going to, she's, they, they got to separate. Like, it's not going to work. So <laughs> it's, not. it's funny you mentioned the generational the age gap because I felt that strongly in this film too. And that the young people were so openly gay and like willing to discuss. And yet the older folks are the ones kind of steeped in um, privacy and secrecy about who they were. That really struck me. And honestly, I, I still feel like that to an extent now, like, but I would say the divide now in the gay community is that the older gays are kind of, steeped in older ideas of gender and maybe like sexual relationships. Whereas like younger people are kind of blurring the lines in both of those areas a little bit more. And also in like claiming our spaces, I feel like older people are set in stone about like, these are gay spaces. Whereas like younger queer people are like, I'm queer wherever I go. It doesn't matter. I felt like that mirrored the divide kind of in the film as well. Because, you know, those older gays, they did not want to give up that, what they had going. 
Uh, I want to ask how some of that applies to our blackmailers, because I'm getting gay vibes off of one of them. Uh, we meet the first midway through the film, and he's this very minty young man on a motorcycle who seems in- to enjoy torturing these older gay men. Nick, what did you think of these two? I mean, I did. I thought that guy was gay. And you saying things about what the director or writer, writer wanted to put in, I'm thinking he or she sat there and was like, I'm going to put as most gay people in this movie as I possibly can. And if you're not gay, the audience is going to hate you. And they nailed it. And yeah, he was, yeah, he just really enjoyed being a blackmailer and those interesting glasses, which I'm sure was just like of the time, but like, you know, seeing those not timeless glasses that he had when he got off that bike, you know, he went in there with that old man. <laughs> he, there was just like a, him and Gerald, there's just like a, I was, I'm going to say the word, same, another flavor of all these men in the movie. They were all, seemed like really well manicured, trim people. Maybe that's what everyone looked like in 19, in the late 50s and 60s, but there was no like gruff, really looking, burly, what you would stereotypically say manly men in this movie. They were all very clean, clean cut. Spencer, what did you think of our villains? Well, to start with, that leather jacket he was wearing was holding on by like an inch of his life. Like, <laughs> That thing was ready to pop any second. And those those goggles were outrageous. They were outrageous. I think I got like a sadistic vibe from him. Like, I think he was into it because he liked deriving pleasure from the pain that he was inflicting on them through the blackmail. Like, I think he got off on that. So definitely gay vibes because I don't think it was motivated by like being homeless homophobic i just think that he enjoyed being like the top gun you know like the ruling class like you know making money off these poor homos that he's subjecting them to you know shame and and everything else would you recommend this film today i had a hundred percent i still think it's crazy that this film exists that we all don't know about it I should have, there should have been some class that I took in my obscure college classes that said, hey, there's this film called Victim. We're going to watch and discuss it. It would have been awesome. Nice. I, I think yes, because again, it kind of holds its own still as a mystery thriller. Like we really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I never expected the second blackmailer to be who it was. And then on top of that, there are some legitimately like authentic moments too in the film for uh, one that was produced at the time it was, as well as like just really interesting kooky character work going on too. That's highly entertaining to to watch. So, thank awesome. you both so much for doing this with me again. I always enjoy oh. talking to you. Thanks for coordinating. Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Glasses Rainbow. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.